We're in the beginning of a season of the church year called Lent, and we are going to be talking today, uh, beginning a series, I should say, on the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. But let me set it up with this. Jesus was born in a stable in an obscure village named Bethlehem. He grew up in a rural, backwoods town called Nazareth. He never traveled more than 200 miles from his hometown. He wasn't even known outside of Nazareth until he began his public career, a public career that only lasted three short years. And his profession, other than saving men and women from their sins, was a carpenter. During his life, Jesus never ran for public office, yet millions of people have followed him for millennia. He never wrote a book, yet hundreds of thousands of books have been written about him. He never became the patriarch of a family, yet millions consider him their father. He never owned a home, yet he invited everyone he knew into his father's house. He was never formally educated, but he confounded the most brilliant minds of his day. He never commanded an army, and yet millions of people have put their lives on the line for him for centuries more than 2,000 years. And at the end of his earthly life, some believe that he was the long-awaited Messiah. But the religious leaders of Israel didn't believe that. They, in fact, condemned him as a false prophet, as a blasphemer. And when the religious leaders forced the Roman governor to try him for promoting to overthrow Roman rule, the governor Pontius Pilate officially declared that he found no fault in him. But yet, to keep the peace, he ordered his execution. And as Jesus stood before his accusers, even the men who were his best friends and apostles deserted him. At his execution, only his mother, his aunt, a disciple named Mary Magdalene, and the Apostle John stood with him. Humanly speaking, there is nothing about Jesus that explains the fact that 20 centuries later after his birth, he still stands as the most influential figure that's ever existed in human history. As I said, today is the beginning of the season of the year, our church year called Lent. It is a time that began on last Wednesday on what was known as Ash Wednesday and ends at uh, midnight on Easter Sunday morning. It's a time when we examine our own relationship with this one who gave everything and stopped at nothing in order to bring 
you and me home to him. It is a, it is a time when, when we look deep inward to discover what are those things that stand in God's way or stand in our way of being fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's what this time is really all about. It's a time where we recognize our faults, our failure, our sin, and then we do something about it. We repent of those sins, those faults, those failures. We make that turn by the grace of Jesus Christ and become more fully devoted followers of our Lord. That's what we're about. In this series that I'm beginning today, it's called The Last 24. The last 24, it's a focus on the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. For the next six weeks, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And as we walk through this and make this deep dive and, and trek through this, uh, th this last 24 hours of Jesus' life, we are going to experience in a new way the depth of love that Christ has for you due to the pain and the suffering that he experienced on your behalf. It is this journey that will prepare us like never before to experience a celebration, the resurrection on Easter. Let's hear God's word. We will begin. From Mark, chapter 14, verses 12, and then 22 to 25. Here it is. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. He then broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. And I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is God's word for us. We are now on what we call Holy Thursday. It is the time of the Passover meal. We often call it here the Last Supper or communion. This is the beginning of just that. Thursday night in an upper room in Jerusalem. That's where we are. Thursday night in an upper room in Jerusalem. And there we find all of Jesus' best friends had gathered, the, 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 the men who had given their lives to follow him, given the last three years of their lives, left their, their tax tables and left, left their uh, fishing boats and, and uh, left their other professions to, to follow Jesus. And here they all are. We have Simon Peter, Andrew, who was the first disciple that Jesus called, uh, here is James and his brother John here. We have Philip, the disciple Philip, and then the disciple Thomas, 
Many of you are familiar with Thomas's doubting Thomas. His doubting Thomas here. Here's Matthew, writer of the gospel, uh, or tax collector for Rome. Let's see, Philip, Thomas, Matthew. Here's James. This, this James is called James the Lesser. There were two James. James is uh, as uh, uh, Jesus' disciple. This one is James the son of Alphaeus. Here is Thaddeus. Thaddeus. We hear very little about Thaddeus, but this is Thaddeus. We also have another Simon. Remember, we have Simon Peter, but we also have here Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was one who desired to overthrow Rome. He wanted to cast off the the, uh, burden of Rome and take it over. He was a zealot. Here we have Judas. Judas Iscariot. Judas the betrayer. And last but not least, we have the disciple Bartholomew. Bartholomew. So all were gathered around the, the, the table of the Lord there in the upper room in Jerusalem. They had come to that upper room to celebrate the Passover with Jesus. That was what they, why they were there. It was the time of the Passover, and it was to be a time of joy and celebration. It was a retelling of the salvation story of God and how God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. It was their salvation story. You'll remember that they, uh, the Lord sent a, an angel angel of death over the Israeli camp, over the camp, all over the, the country of uh, Egypt, the land of Egypt, and those who had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their homes were spared. And then God sent them out and parted the Red Sea that they could cross. It was the salvation story, a story of deliverance, deliverance from slavery. And it pointed to the hope that one day, one day, one day, one day, God was going to send that long-awaited Messiah. That's what the story is all about. That's what you do when you come around the table for the Seder meal and celebrating the Passover. God's salvation story and a time where you're pointing to the coming of the Messiah. And the disciples, of course, they were excited about gathering to celebrate the Passover with Jesus because they believed that he was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. They were there in the upper room because they had given his life to follow him. You know, he was the long-awaited Messiah, and they knew it. And they were in Jerusalem that year because they truly believed that this was the year that Jesus was going to claim his rightful place in, uh, in society, to open the kingdom, to make it happen, to, to, uh, to, to be that Messiah that they had longed for uh, for so long. But boy, it had been an amazing week thus far. Just four days earlier, they had been a part of Jerusalem's greatest parade, greatest parade, all-time great parade. In fact, Jesus, to get there, Jesus had walked uh, approximately 75 miles from up here around uh, Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. 
and came down uh, to skirt around the, the uh, area called uh, Samaria, skirting through there, and then over into Jerusalem. Approximately a 75-mile journey in that direction to get to, uh, to, get to Jerusalem. And on the day of his arrival, he was at the top of the Mount of Olives. Crowds gathered around uh, the street, lined the street, waving palm branches. And do you remember what the crowd shouted? Do you remember what they shouted to Jesus when, when he was riding on the donkey? They shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna! Now, now here's the question for you. What does Hosanna mean? Why were they shouting Hosanna? What did it mean? It means this. Save us. Save us. That's what they were calling out. They were waving the palm branches and saying, Jesus, save us. And when they were saying, Hosanna in the highest, they were saying, save us in the most ultimate way, Lord. Save us completely, save us fully, save us ultimately. That was the call when they gathered uh, along the side of the street and Jesus was riding the colt from the top of the Mount of Olives down into the city of Jerusalem. But that was Sunday, right? And now it's Thursday night in an upper room, and Jesus is now talking about his body being broken. And he's talking to his disciples about his blood being spilled. On Sunday, Palm Sunday, he was welcomed as a, as a hero. The shouts of Hosanna, the waving of the palm branches, but now it is Thursday, and he's essentially in hiding. Even the city's religious leaders were frantically plotting his death. And even doing so with one of his own. That week continued. That was Sunday. Now it's Monday. And Monday he goes to the temple. Jesus goes to the temple. And he sees that the temple has been turned into a marketplace. And they were selling forgiveness. That is the, 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 the doves. They were selling the doves at exorbitant prices. Which means they were selling forgiveness to people who couldn't even afford it. They were selling the doves and making profits on the back of the poor. They had turned the temple into, the, into a great uh, Jerusalem flea market. And Jesus became so upset, so angry, seeing that they had turned his father's house into this marketplace. He overturned the tables and ran off the merchants and he confronted them and said this to the religious leaders. He said, it is written in the scriptures, my temple is to be a place of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. That's what he told the religious leaders from Mark eleven seventeen, 17. And each day of the week, 
Each day of the week, the crowds pushed harder for religious reform and confronted the same religious leaders over and over and over again. And finally, he just blurted out, Jesus blurted out to once again to the religious leaders, and he said, look, woe to you, you teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites, he called out. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Wow. What a rebuke. And with each challenge, the Pharisees, the Sadducees became more and more angry. And by Thursday, the Palm Sunday parade, those shouts of Hosanna, that hero's welcome was nothing but a distant memory. And once again, the religious leaders were consumed with plotting his death. And so now, Again, it's Thursday evening in an upper room in Jerusalem. The meal was prepared. Remember what meal it was? It was the Seder meal. It was the Passover. And everyone took their place in an upper room. If you ever visit Jerusalem, you can visit what is uh, possible to be the site of the upper room. This particular room has been rebuilt in the 12th century by the Crusaders. Uh, in, in fact, you can see that uh, some of the columns are original up to like to here, and then everything uh, higher than that has been rebuilt. But it is an upper room in Jerusalem, a place where uh, pilgrims to the Holy Land go to remember this last meal with Jesus and his disciples. Oh, the upper room here. Now, they gathered around the table, and I've got to say, before we go on, with Full apologies to Leonardo da Vinci. He got it all wrong because what you picture in your mind as the way they were seated around the table in the upper room is absolutely incorrect. Leonardo da Vinci got it wrong. And we know it by history that he got it wrong. Here is how the room would be set up. It would have been a U-shaped table. It's called, by the way, here it is. It's called a triclinium. Triclinium. I'll say it one more time. A triclinium. And a triclinium is about a foot or so off the floor. They're not seated at ta they're not seated at a at a standard size table. They're not seated in chairs. A triclinium is designed for the recline at the table. So as you see, this particular disciple right here is showing it off. They are reclined at the table. In fact, if you read other versions of the scripture, such as the King James Version, it will say the disciples reclined at the table. And that is, that is the truth. That's what they did. You reclined at the table to eat. That's the way it was done in first century uh, Israel. So they were reclining there at the table. Now, folks, you'll remember, as I said, the Passover celebration was to be a dinner party. It was a celebration. It was a dinner party celebrating and remembering those who were slaves had now been set free. That was the big deal. 
It was God's salvation story. The Israelites were slaved, enslaved in Egypt, and now God had set them free. He heard their cries. He made it possible. He set them free. It's a story of freeing the Israelite slaves. It's a story of salvation. Those who were in bondage in slavery were now free, and they were on their way to the promised land as the people of God. That's the story. That's what they're celebrating when they gather around the Passover table. And you know, the Last Supper, folks, the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples, there in the upper room when the disciples were reclining around the table at the triclinium, that was to be the very same thing. It was to be that remembrance, that celebration that their forefathers, their ancestors who were slaves were now free and on their way to the promised land, that God had provided that salvation for them. But on that night, in the upper room, in Jerusalem, there was tremendous apprehension in the air. And everyone was aware of this tension. They all wondered what in the world was going to happen to Jesus. And in a statement so electric it still reverberates across the centuries, Jesus said to his disciples, one of you will betray me. Now, don't be fooled, Jesus knew exactly who it was that was going to do the deed. He knew exactly who it was. But the disciples were floored by that statement. And then he said, it is one of the twelve, that is one of you. It is one of you, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Mm. Betrayal. Betrayal. The final 24 hours of Jesus' life was littered with betrayal. Betrayal. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. And all of the rest of the disciples, they deserted him. In his hour of need, they deserted him, leaving him utterly alone to face his enemies. And you know something, folks? Even today, there are church leaders who have abused children. Even today, there are church leaders who, who have embezzled funds and more. In our past, there have been, there have been church leaders who have advocated slavery And even today, people like you and I, we fail to love God with all that we are and all that we have. We fail to, to, to love God. We fail to love others. And we fail to live out the gospel life. And you know, when we do that, our failure to, to follow Christ and to give Him all that we are and all that we have is this. It's betrayal. It's betrayal. And you know, if I think Jesus probably should have said, look, 
every last one of you will betray me. Yeah, now Judas was going to do the deed. He was going to start it in motion. But every last one of you will betray me. And boy, when you think about that, that really drives this all home, doesn't it? It gets awfully close and terribly uncomfortable. I mean, just think about it. When have you sold your Lord out? When have you betrayed the Lord for a whole lot less than 30 silver coins? We've all done it. When have you been like Peter and denied ever having known him? When are you like the rest of the disciples to, to completely leave Jesus totally alone and face his enemies? When have you deserted him? We've all done it. And folks, I tell you all of this because when we come together around the table of the Lord and we do this every single solitary month, we set up a Sunday where we remember this moment every single month. When we come around the table of the Lord, whether you do that at your home, whether you are here when we are doing it, you come humbly. You come humbly. And the reason why you come humbly is because you are a betrayer. The reason you come humbly is because that you are a denier. The reason you come humbly to this meal is because you are a deserter. Just like the first disciples. And I tell you that, but do you remember what else Jesus did on that Thursday in the upper room? Do you remember? To the, do you remember what he did to the betrayers and the deniers and the deserters? Think about it. What did he do? He still washed their feet. Yeah. He still washed their feet. And you know what else he did? He called them his friends. That's what he did. The betrayers, the deniers, the deserters. He called them friends. And one more thing. You know, after announcing his betrayal, Jesus took some matzah bread and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and said something very perplexing, something very confusing. He said, take and eat. For this is my body. And the reason why this was so perplexing and so 
confusing is because that was not a part of the that was not a part of the the Passover ritual. And this is a ritual that had been going on for a thousand years. It unchanged for a thousand years. And now all of a sudden Jesus is breaking the matzah bread and saying, this is my body which is broken for you. It was an object lesson because in just a few short hours they would witness his body being broken. They would witness it on a Roman cross. But yet at that moment they didn't understand what was happening. And then after supper he took the third of four cups, the cup of Elijah. And he held it up and said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And it was at that very moment that that Passover meal, that Seder meal, was transformed into the Last Supper, the Eucharist, the Great Thanksgiving, Holy Communion, the Israel had had come to salvation through the sacrifice of animals, but now the new covenant was that all people would come to salvation through the blood of Jesus. Where the Seder meal is a story of God's liberation for the Israelite slaves, the Last Supper is a story of liberation and salvation for all of humanity. In that very moment, God gave them and us a brand new start and a brand new beginning. So folks, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life is the story of God whose love for his people is so amazing and so profound that he would send his only son down on this world as a sign and seal of the covenant that would deliver the human race from death. And in that time, he showed us his love. He washed the feet of the disciples. And he gave them a meal by which they would remember him forever. This is the good news for you and me. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come together in prayer acknowledging that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is beyond our ability to really be able to comprehend that you love us so much that you are willing to offer your own life for us. And to think that, that you were surrounded by 12 people who were to be your very best friends and one betrayed, one denied, and every last one deserted in your greatest hour of need. And yet, you still washed their feet 
and you still call them friends. Lord, that's the kind of God you are. A God whose love transcends our sin. A, a God who loves us beyond anything that we could ever begin to think or imagine. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us this meal by which we may always and forevermore remember our salvation story that through your sacrifice we are washed clean. Through your sacrifice we are forgiven. Through your sacrifice we have salvation. Thank you so much, God. You are good all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.